ahead and call uh, the meeting to order. Uh, I don't think there's any alternatives, right? I don't think so. So, um, so we'll move on uh, for consideration of the approval meeting minutes. So moved. Second. Thank you. Thank you. Any discussion? All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed, no. Okay. That's good. Uh, next board meeting date will be May 29th, it looks like, in North Liberty. Any big conflicts with that? That's Mayor? my anniversary. Be fun. I don't know. <laughs> Does that count as a conflict? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now we've got uh, time for public discussion of any items not on the agenda. Is there anybody here for anything to present to the board? Okay. I don't think so. Um, 3A, we've got to consider action regarding participation in the federal aid swap whereby state funding could be could replace the federal funding for local road and bridge projects. Uh, we'll open it up for public now, or do you want Brad? How about, how about I go through it and then we, we can okay. ask if there's anybody? Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Yep, that'd be great. So Kent Ralston, uh, thank you everyone for coming. Kent Ralston, director of the MPO. Um, as we discussed at your January meeting, uh, last year House File 203 was signed into law permitting the Iowa Transportation Commission to allow what's commonly referred as the federal aid swap, which I think most of you are, are fairly familiar with at this point in time. Uh, the swap generally is a process whereby road and bridge funds that would have typically been funded through the MPO with federal funding would be swapped for state funding. The idea being streamlining, streamlining excuse me, projects uh, and minimizing costs. Uh, at this time last year, the Transportation Technical Advisory Committee unanimously recommended participating in the swap. However, after a lengthy discussion, the board uh, chose to opt out of the swap by a vote of 11 uh, affirmative and four against uh, opting in. Uh, of the board's many concerns, Davis-Bacon wages, worker safety, and lack of data supporting the benefits of the swap, I think were central to the, the conversation. Uh, and as you all know, I think our MPO is the only MPO in the state that's opting out of the swap at this point in time. Uh, similar to last year, unless our MPO chooses to opt out of the swap, the DOT will assume we're opting in or, or choosing to participate. Um, unfortunately, since the swap didn't take effect until October of 2018, we don't have a lot of data to provide to you, as we mentioned at your January board meeting. Uh, and at that time, we had a discussion uh, about, you know, speaking with your engineering staff about what, uh, what their uh, how they favor the swap and, and what their concerns would be uh, opting in or opting out. Uh, the Iowa DOT did, however, indicate that the project development timeline for projects has been minimized by about six months for most projects thus far, uh, and certainly there's a, a cost savings to that. Uh, I have attached the meeting minutes from your March 2018 meeting as well as the DOT's final swap policy language uh, for your reference. Uh, keep in mind that this is only, uh, we're only swapping surface transportation block grant funds at this point in time and cannot swap our transportation alternative program funds. So it's the larger pool of funding uh, that in a separate agenda item tonight you'll address, um, not the smaller uh, funding that we typically use for trails. Uh, at their March 26th meeting uh, last week, the Transportation Technical Advisory Committee uh, also had a discussion concerning the swap and voted unanimously to participate in the swap. Uh, and what we'd like from the board today is that you discuss this item and uh, provide staff with a vote uh, whether to or whether to not participate in the swap. And I'm happy to answer any questions uh, as best I can. Um, Kent, when we met in January and didn't take a stand then, uh, the idea was because it didn't start until October, mm -hmm. there wasn't enough data, um, and, and that 
the idea being that at this meeting we would have more data, um, which apparently we don't. Correct. Um, and I get that, you know, I mean, it was a really bad winter and I'm sure there weren't a lot of projects happening. Um, however, um, until which time we receive compelling data, um, making it, you know, this is absolutely, I mean, I, I appreciate that, okay, this is reduced by six months' time. That's money saved. I get that. But I, I'm still very concerned about the Davis-Bacon and that that could be bypassed. And in fact, you know, when you say that, it just sounds like the wage thing, but there are so many implications that fall under Davis-Bacon um, in terms of um, projects getting done on time, and, you know, people being, um, a lot, working in situations that are safe and all, all of the implications that go with um, a very trained labor force and also using local labor. So I um, personally, my stance is to still uh, go for the opt-out. Um, you know, I, we're gonna, we're entering into a construction season and at that point, then I think that we're gonna be getting a lot of data that we could use, but again, um, it would have to be rather compelling for me to go the other way. Sure. So I, I just thought I'd put that out there as to open up the discussion. Yeah, I appreciate that. And something I failed to uh, mention as well is that unless something changes uh, with the way the DOT is handling this, we will discuss this every year at about this time. And the rationale for doing this now is because, as, as I already mentioned, we'll have an agenda item later tonight where we discuss allocating the MPO funds available to us, and then we start our transportation improvement program timeline, which is actually programming the funds that you all allocate to projects. So this kind of leads right into the uh, trans transportation improvement program timeline. And that would change slightly if we were to participate in the swap. What do you mean by slightly? Um, we would have to, there would be some different things we would put in the TIP. So it's, it's not something you all would see, but with the actual programming, there's some different rules that the DOT would have us follow. Basically just the, the way by which we actually enter the projects into the system that we enter and so on. So it just changes things for staff a little bit. Uh, Kent, before we go too much more discussion mm -hmm. on the board, should we open up for any uh, public or anybody yeah. that came to speak on the item before the board discusses that way we have all the information sounds great so is there anybody uh, to speak on this item that came tonight okay um, yeah if you could come up to the pedestal and speak into the mic please hello is this one oh, over here into the light, right? Okay. <laughs> Hello, I'm Bill Gerhardt. I'm the president of Iowa State Building Trades. I've lived in Iowa City since 1969. I've worked construction, both building and heavy and highway work. And I want to thank you guys for opting out last year from the road swap scheme, let's call it. Um, and you're right, we're the only one in the state that has done that. I think mostly because there's so much confusion about whether we could actually do it. But I think you guys, by opting out, has given, I think, confidence to other areas of the state to be able to do the same. I think everyone got sent the article about the bi-state MPO over in the Quad Cities. They're probably going to opt out. I know the people in Des Moines are thinking about it and probably Cedar Rapids and Dubuque. So thank you for doing that. Uh, I think it's a sad state of affairs when we try to look for ways to get out of wage protection for workers. And not only wage protection for your workers, but the Buy American Act. We've got two foundries in our area that make the same steel that we'd be buying from China. Now, why we wouldn't want to encourage people to do it. 
to use our steel versus a Chinese steel, I don't know. And I've got some serious doubts. I've heard this twice about the data shows that this minimizes the amount of time on jobs. I think every HR study that shows that the more you pay a person, the more productive they are, and this sort of flies in the face for that, you're saying that the less you pay someone, the more productive they are, and they get the job done faster. So I've got a qualm with that, but I had a, something happened last summer that really brought this home to me, what we're talking about. Uh, a colleague and I, matter of fact, he's here, Danny and I were coming back from Strawberry Point to Iowa City, and we were at a road construction where you have to wait for the pilot car to come. We were the first car in the line there, and there was a guy there holding a flag. Danny was driving, I had the passenger window. I rolled her down, I'm talking to the guy. And I said, who do you work for? And he told me you work for. I go, what do you get paid? And he says, well, I get $10 an hour, unless I'm on a federal job, and I get $26 an hour. So that's the difference for people out working, is $26 an hour versus $10 an hour, because without Davis-Bacon protection, the only protection you got is minimum wage. And out of that $10 an hour and out of the $26 an hour, he has to live out of town. The, the per diem's really unheard of in, in heavy highway construction. So that was a stark contrast to me as uh, what we're doing is the right thing. We need to keep those federal wage protections when we can and hope that the federal government doesn't ever do away with them. So anyway, thank you for last year for opting out, and I hope you do the same this year. Thank you. Is there anybody else that would like to speak? Came tonight. Okay, I don't think so. Okay, we'll open up discussion with the board if there is any or entertain a motion, whatever you guys want to act on. Um, um, as we both talked, we've talked to our city engineers about things and give you the information that we received, or at least I received from Mars. Um, Federal aid funding increases engineering costs for both the design phase and construction phase of a roadway project. Design, build, construction phase, professional services for locally funded roadway projects is typically around 12 to 13% of construction cost. Federal aid roadway projects are generally around 20. So these percentages vary from project to project depending on the scope of services, size, complexity, contractor performance, etc. but 7% to 8% more for federal aid functioning is about right. So I wanted to pass that information on to the group from our engineer as well. And our engineer, they both work at Shive Hattery, yours and mine, and uh, he explains a little bit more about uh, where specifically there are increases in the project. There's a substantial amount of work involved in the weekly reviews of payroll reports, and each contractor must submit a weekly wage report for every employee that worked on the project, and this is for the duration of the project. Another area is the DOT post-project audit process is very thorough and require a substantial amount of time and effort to prepare, prepare for and complete. And then he also adds, it does seem the federal aid projects take longer to close out once construction is completed. Most of this is related to the audit process. He says, it's fair to say that the longer the project takes, that there are more costs are involved. Somewhere in the range of three to six months seems to be fair. And the longer the project takes, the more expensive it is. And uh, that could mean that 
our small city couldn't do a project if it, depending on that increase, you know, because of this increase. And um, he says here, the DOT process for the construction phase of federal aid projects has more paperwork and documentation requirements than non-fed aid projects. This is not to say that the non-federal aid projects mean that documentation is overlooked or ignored. The forms, reviews, and level of documentation require for the audit process just take a little more time every day, which adds up over the course of a project. So I'm going to vote to uh, opt in. I guess my position is, as I'm continuing to support opt out, I think first of all, let's look at the role of what the paperwork process is. That's to ensure that there's not misclassification mis uh, and to ensure that the wages that the contractors are promising are actually paid. I think we want to have those eyes and ears on the ground to be able to assure that they are being treated uh, fairly, that they're being paid a living wage. And I don't think there's anyone at this table that would want to get a cheaper cost for the community that comes directly out of the pocket of the worker. And that's where a lot of the efficiency comes. Um, this also comes, does not come in a vacuum. I do think this is part of an ongoing effort um, for, for union busting. And I don't think we should be any uh, a part of it. And I think that you know the other districts are gonna do what the other districts are gonna do, but at least in terms of where I'm coming from, we need to provide the leadership to say that we are not going to save a buck at the expense of the worker. Um, so I'm gonna be adamantly opposed um, to uh, any, any change in the status quo. I don't, uh, um, Lisa's point, I do not think we have enough data to justify these uh, efficiency considerations that are, that are proffered. I also have not heard any data relating to the safety differences, um, the safety impact. Um, Kent, I don't know if you have that, do you have that data? Well, I think that's data that we should have as part of our decision making. So until we get compelling evidence to the contrary to justify um, selling the workers short, I will not support any change in what we have done so far. Well, last year I voted to opt in. Um, yeah, over the year, it, it really hasn't it really hasn't affected us that much, and I, I I agree that I think that another year would be fine, and I, I'm going to vote opt out this time. I also uh, will be voting okay. to opt out. Um, Lisa made a good point and Rockney reiterated that, that we still don't have enough data, I don't think, to, to prove the effectiveness of it. And all we're hearing is some potential uh, ill effects of it. And particularly, and, and uh, Rockney mentioned saving a buck at the expense of the worker. I think saving a buck at the expense of, of the safety of the project. Um, cheap is cheap is what I've always heard. And, and if we're going with the cheap steel made outside of this country, that's not good. I mean, this is, we're talking about the infrastructure of our, of our uh, area uh, that needs to be safe. People are going to be traveling on it. We want it to be safe. We want it to be built right. Um, working faster isn't always better. Working faster uh, can lead to, to problems, the safety of the workers. And, and uh, haste makes waste is, is also my belief. And, and I, I just don't think saving the six months time uh, in the long run it benefits this. I, I think the same thing. I just agree with everyone here who suggested opt out uh, because I think we have the same concern from last year. Nothing has been changed from the concern that we raised last year. Then I also opting out. 
I agree with everything that has been said that with the points that Lisa Rockney um, both made. You know, as, uh, for me, I, I, I do get really concerned anytime we, we look at ways to um, reduce any type of oversight. I feel like that just opens up the door for paying uh, these folks a lower wage. I feel like it opens up the door for, you know, more dangerous working conditions. And I think you know, this, this is dangerous, difficult work. We want to make sure that the, the people that are doing these jobs, that they are being paid well, and that they're safe. I think that, you know, we look at, um, we've just come through a really extreme winter where, you know, there were folks out in, in um, terribly cold conditions. You know, I think we just have to be really, really careful um, about protecting workers so and paying them well. So I, I too will be voting to opt out. One of the questions I have is how can we talk about safety when they're still ruled by the same OSHA rules as anybody else? Um, when, when I think about that, and I think that's a really valid question, um, when you, somebody mentioned union busting. Um, union projects uh, have a history of um, having safer standards, fewer accidents, uh, getting the job, uh, fewer change orders even, getting the job done um, within the timeline that was initially suggested and, and, um, and the, the safety standard is much higher. It's, it just is. And, and I can give, you know, anecdotal things. Uh, and I'll just say, there are um, multiple cases right here locally of misclassification. And part of that is, uh, you know, you're, you're hired on, and then later on when you notice that, oh, I'm not getting, you know, no workers comp taken out, what's going on? Oh, you're a contracted worker, you don't get it. Oh, and those fingers that you just cut down to the tendons, sorry, you just can't work now. And that's an actual case. So I, I think that those safety things have to be, um, not, the, the oversight has to be there. And that happens when you have um, that ability to use union, union work. And I'm not interested in doing anything that would undermine that. What I'm having a hard time with is that we have opinion, we have opinion, we have opinion. I haven't seen any good documentable evidence from any side. And that I'm disappointed in. But isn't that part of the issue is that we don't have compelling evidence to depart from what we did last year. So or in the, from in the, the absence of that. our labor union to document. See, this is, here we have our reports and what we can present you. Yep, yep. But one thing I do recall from our discussion last year is I believe maybe Bill had provided some, there's some good peer reviewed uh, journal articles on the question of the safety differences um, based upon a union project and not, and this is not explicitly union right Davis-Bacon does not require but I think it is more likely to meet those standards you'd have a higher likelihood that there would be um, union that would be used so I think we could probably do a follow-up in terms of getting the data on that um, but, but I think in terms of unless there's substantial empirical evidence to change what we're doing given the what we know in terms of the wage impact I'm not I don't want to change it. Yeah, my particular thing is it seems like most of the problems on the front end, mm -hmm. which is the regulations and things like that, mm -hmm. that's where we as a group 
should really be attacking this whole thing to begin with. Mm -hmm. right. You know, livable wages, I don't have a problem. Union wages, I don't have a problem. But um, Bacon Davis rules, mm -hmm. I have no problem. I'd be still open to implement some of those even on a local basis. You bid a public contract, let's see your wage scales, presentation for a project, and we'll decide from there. You make good points. It, it, it's still, my feeling is, is, you know, Bill and these people are on, on the front of this front of the line, and they they know this stuff. And I, I'm just kind of at that point where I, I'd like to give it just another another year, and we we could. It's not going to harm us for another year. And we didn't harm us up till October, did it? So so it's not going to make a big big amount. Do we have a plan for? collecting this data like you know just again so we're not so we do have something to base it off of um you know so that we can see you know that in the next year you know that you know yes it did not have an impact on wages it did not have an impact on um, safety and things like that or or if it did yeah, I mean, I have a loose plan, which is to ask the DOT to actually provide the information, which they've told me they will. Um, and I only say I rely on the DOT because as, as an MPO, we don't actually contract for the work, so I don't really have any ability to actually track anything. So aside from asking the DOT, I'd also like to work with individual engineers uh, from your respective communities to ask them the same question. You know, the Technical Advisory Committee has voted two times now unanimously to participate in the swap. Um, and it sounds like the board is for the second time now leaning towards uh, not participating, and that's that's uh, fine. Um, but I would like to ask the engineers, okay, you know, if you have an interest in this, it behooves you to actually provide some data and and you know try and convince this board otherwise. Do we know anything about the local hiring aspects of uh, our contracts? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, and, and in some informal conversations with engineers, it, it seems that they don't have a really good mechanism to provide that either right now um, without, you know, putting a lot of effort into it, which they, they obviously don't have time to do right now, so. And I think Terry brings up a good point, but I, I think in terms of, as I understand it, there's a lot of home rule limitations in terms of us being able to put standards, labor standards above and beyond, you know, what state law requires. Um, so at least at this point, I don't think that we can do that. I know that we can't do the project labor agreements, um, those sorts of things. So unfortunately, right. we don't have that mechanism to sort of reach the same. But if we could do that, if we could have a project labor agreement where we could be assured that we would get those higher standards, um, maybe we could consider that and get some of those efficiency gains. But this is unfortunately, it seems like the only tool we have um, at this point, at least as I can see it. Yeah, I, I didn't re-ask the question this year, but last year, um, Eleanor Dilks, the Iowa City City Attorney, is also the MPO's attorney. Um, and through a discussion with her, her understanding is we cannot set a prevailing wage on our own projects, was her understanding. Um, I, don't, I don't pretend to understand all the ins and outs of that, but that was my understanding is we cannot have that labor agreement separate from this. And for all the, I, I can't ex exactly explain all the reasons why not, but that was, that was, uh, she made that pretty clear. Because basically we've had all local control on anything on wage taken away. Right. Right. Much. As far as Tiffin goes, we're, uh, our engineers uh, basically said what Shive Hattery has told mm -hmm. North Liberty, that they assure us that it will save significant time and and the engineering fee would definitely be cut seven to ten percent. Uh, that's a pretty significant amount on some projects. 
And then, like I've said before, Tiffin rarely gets federal money. Most all of our projects don't include federal money, so we're using contractors local all the time anyway. So we get good products the way we are now without the federal rules. So we're, I'm going to the vote the same way I did last year as, as an opt-in because it seems to be the best for Tiffin. Mm -hmm. So, but I respect everybody else's okay. opinions. Any other comments? So I think we had or a motion to opt in, right? Didn't we? We can. We don't have a motion oh, at all that I heard. No, we I don't believe so. I'll entertain a motion either way because you want to vote either way, right? So whichever way somebody wants to make a motion. I move that we opt out. Second. Okay. So we got the motion and second. Any other discussion? Everybody get their piece said? Just one, Kent, from the university perspective, we're not going to be in this. I'm going to abstain. Normally that would not be my role, but yeah. in this particular matter, since we don't receive funding uh, and we do it on our own, uh, I'm not going to muddy the waters. So yeah. we can yeah. report that accordingly, please. Yeah, I appreciate that. We actually, Aaron, attended an orientation that we, we had nope, uh, a while back and we discussed it. The university, <laughs> in my to my knowledge, has never received federal funds from our organization. and. And it's a little murky as to whether they even can. So, uh, correct. I respect that. Uh, I'm an operator uh, of a very large department, and we do have a, a 17 or 18 miles of institutional road. So I can tell you what cost savings and time savings does, because the winter that we did just have also handed us a lot of failing roads. Okay. So, uh, you know, I, my operator side does come out pretty strongly in this, but nonetheless, uh, I need to represent the university in a neutral manner on the on this. Very interesting. I don't. You want to do a roll call, Kent? Uh, we sounds certainly. like discussion's done. Or yeah, or we just certainly call can. For a vote or? Yeah, I, I would just call for a vote. I think that, we can roll that's call. Cool. Oh, okay. Uh, Hayden. Aye. Okay, and just to this be just so clear. everybody's abundantly clear, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, I was just going to say so the the motion is so no, to not out. participate in the swap or opt out, however you want to. So an I vote. That. Yes. So Hayden. Aye. Aye. No. Do that got really loud. Do my <laughs> arguments present. <laughs> present. Hmm? Well, is that an I or an A? We're all present. That's right. Hmm. <laughs> Are you voting? Present. Present. That's it. That's not a vote. I. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Shane, Shane abstains. <laughs> Mims. I. I'm a non-voter. Yeah. Correct. Uh, I'll say no. Yes. I. I'm going to be very clear. I'm opting out. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Aye. 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 Yes. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, um, everybody. Just point of order. Um, I, I don't see how present is a vote, aye or nay. I mean, that's it's just acceptable stating that you're here. We have no other government rules. It's acceptable vote. It's done in the state, done in the federal. What does it mean? It's done on the thing. I mean, besides the fact that you're here, as we all are, what does that mean? It means that, that without the information that I don't have, I can't make a vote either way. Oh, okay. You're welcome. Oh, I gotta abstain. Okay. We're we good to move on, Ken? We are. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, we're on to 4A. Um, this is to consider approval of a locally determined projects list for the MPO. Uh, fiscal 2020 transportation work planning work program. Thank you. This one should prove to be easier than the last. 
<laughs> as you will remember, each spring we compile a list of transportation planning work program projects for the upcoming fiscal year. Uh, and this year is no different. Uh, while this exercise is required by both the Federal Highway Administration and the Department of Transportation, we also use it internally to, of course, um, schedule our work and, and our data collection needs for the work we uh, are asked to do. Uh, in your packet, I attached uh, the list of work program projects that we've received to date from uh, your respective staff. And I believe it's 30, 36, uh, in the order of 36 or so projects. Uh, we're aware that other projects come up throughout the year. We're typically able to handle those, although if there's any large projects that we're asked to do that would disrupt what you will approve at your next meeting, we'll bring those back to the board for, uh, for a discussion. Um, I will say that the list of projects that are in uh, the packet represent probably a quarter to a third of the work we'll actually do. Uh, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's just difficult for your engineers to let us know what they want us to do for the entire uh, fiscal year of 2020. So that's to be expected. Uh, what we'd like from you all today is that you please review the list of attached projects and let us know of any uh, clarifications you might have or any questions. Otherwise, we will add all the federally mandated work that we have to do and bring the full work program back to you at your next meeting for final approval. And I'm happy to answer any questions that you might have. Looks to be another uh, good year. That's uh, number four. Yeah. Yeah. So this um, is something that was in our work program last year as well, and was was asked again. Um, basically, the Iowa City, the city of Iowa City, as you know, adopted a bike master plan in 2017. And this is to help with anything we can to try and get that uh, to where it needs to be and, and to reach the goals that are in the plan. So when, when is that submitted? You'll be submitting something to? Uh, we, yeah, so we, you've got to re-up the, the bike-friendly communities designation. I believe it is every four years now. I think it was every three, and I think they change it to every four. I believe we've got two more years. Don't quote me on that, but I believe we've got a few more years before we have to re-up for Iowa City. Yep. So you don't need any action on this then tonight? Uh, just a simple vote, whether you're okay oh. with the projects, yeah. Oh, so you do yeah, still looking for a motion? Okay. Please. Move to approve the uh, project list. Second. second. Okay. We've got a motion and a second. Any other discussion? One more, Kent. On number fourteen, the uh, Darian thing to assist with implementation of bike share program. Yeah. If we could just have the, you know, the cross coordination with the campus because we have the Definitely. same, yeah, interests. So. Yep. Certainly. And and the request or isn't as important as just that it's in the work program, so we don't forget. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you for pointing that out. Uh, anything else? Okay. All those in favor, say aye. 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 Opposed, no. Okay. That's Thank approved. you. Okay, we're on to 4B, consider approval of the MPO Fiscal 20 uh, Transit Program of Projects. Brad, you're up. Yep, uh, Brad Newman, Assistant Transportation Planner. Uh, the first item here I have is the annual program of projects for the three transit agencies in the area. That's Iowa City, Corville, and Canbus. Uh, each year uh, they produce a program of projects. It's a federal requirement, and it identifies all the federally funded equipment or uh, operating amounts that they could receive or do receive during the year. Uh, you'll see there's attachments for each, uh, one for each agency. Uh, identifies a lot of buses and equipment, the operating amount, 
is in there. Um, this information uh, will, will go to, well, it will actually be part of the consolidated funding application process, which is something each agency does through the DOT, um, and it, it's for federal state funding and all the other requirements that the state has. And it will be in there and does require a uh, public hearing at the council level, so this will be part of that. It will also be part of the FY20 to 23 transportation improvement program. Uh, which you'll be approving in July. Uh, the Technical Advisory Committee unanimously recommended approval of the program of projects at their March 26th uh, meeting, and staff is requesting approval as well. And I'm happy to answer any questions. I think some of the interesting things in there is the cost of a bus. It's <laughs> almost a half a million dollars. Yeah. So. And, and of course, those are, it's a whole other topic, but those go on a list at the state level and then we wait until, see how much money we get federally and we go down the list based on the age of the bus and the miles and then that's when it gets funded. So, but we have to have them in our program projects and the TIP in order to get the funding, so. Uh, thank you. Second. All right, any other discussion? Hear nothing. All those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed, no. <clears throat> Motion carried. Uh, okay, moving on. 4C, uh, consider approval of the MPO Surface Transportation Block Grant and Transportation Alternative Program funding allocations. Uh, yes, uh, this is, uh, the, the Iowa DOT has provided the MPO with funding targets of about $6.6 .6 million uh, to be programmed in FY 23 and 24. Um, at least for the surface transportation block grant. Uh, they've also provided 1.45 million in transportation alternative program funding, and that will be for FY21 through 24. So there's a four year window for the TAP. And if you remember, we do this process every two years. We, we gather up two funding targets before we apportion any money out. Um, two years ago, we did not do the TAP because the state wouldn't allow us to do it at the time because they were changing the program. The program has since been changed back uh, pretty much. So now we're back on track, but we have four years worth of funding, and that's why we have the 1.45 million. Um, we had four entities submit a total of three applications for SDBG funding, totaling over $18 million, and three entities submitting four applications for TAP funding uh, totaling just over $1.5 million. Two of the TAP projects um, are not currently in the MPO's long-range transportation plan. The way we've done this in the past is all these, all these projects to even be considered had to be included in the long-range transportation plan. So it went through all the public participation process to get on the list. Um, like I said, two of the TAP projects are not, and we did hear from the Iowa Department of Transportation, and they indicated that they had a new interpretation of some of their rules, and that the TAP projects no longer need to be in the long-range transportation plan. Um, this is something we'll probably have to deal with. We didn't have time to deal with it at this point. Um, we just didn't have time between the application process and when we heard from the DOT. Um, but the MPO, we do have concerns over this. Um, one I mentioned is the public participation process. Uh, these projects have not been through that project. Um, 
the only time they would be is in the TIP after you approve it to be in the TIP. Uh, and the other concern we have is basically we've been operating for a certain amount of time under a certain interpretation for years with the DOT, and our concern is that can always flip back over the other way again, and then they're going to require it later on. You got to remember these projects are years 23 and 24, so they're a good ways out, and a lot can change by that time. So that's our concern uh, over that issue. Um, attached uh, in your packet, you'll find a summary of the projects, including uh, project description, our staff scores, <laughs> the project totals, the funding request, the local match, and the recommended funding levels. Um, the scoring criteria is also attached, uh, as is a copy of each application. I think we did those electronically. It was, gets pretty thick uh, to send out. Uh, to anyone. So, um, let's see. I, I want to go through all the projects. We have those nine projects, uh, and we'll start with the STBG projects. Yeah. Got so a little. Oh, go ahead. So I was going to just say, unfortunately, the the screens here behind us. So if you're on this side, we may have to move. Uh, be careful of cords if you're if you're walking <laughs> around. Oops. And this is just a. It's a little. Yeah. It's called a flyover, and it's so you can see where all the projects, the proposed projects, are at. Um, all right. So we'll start with the STBG projects. We had Iowa City, North Liberty, and Tiffin each submitted one application, and Coralville had submitted two applications for STBG funding. And we'll start with uh, Iowa City's Dodge Street Improvement Project, and we'll go by how staff scored. That'll be the, um, how we present these to you. So the Iowa, Iowa City's project is Dodge Street Improvement Project, and that is between Burlington Street and Governor Street. It did receive 48 points from the staff uh, in the scoring. Uh, this project is a complete reconstruction of Dodge Street and includes new pavement, water main, sanitary sewer, stormwater, traffic signals, on-street buffered bike lanes, sidewalks on both sides. Uh, the total cost of the project is $13,250,000. Iowa City is requesting $4,867,000 in STBG funding. Uh, I'd like to give each community an opportunity to elaborate on the project if you'd like to, or any comments or questions. Okay, we'll move on. Actually, I have one. What is oh. a buffered bike lane? Is that actually curved with a dedicated lane, or what does that mean? Just striped. The 30-inch lines. Sorry, so the buffered bike lane would actually just be a painted striped. Um, okay. Basically, like it's green. like, yeah, in this case, it may not be green, but it'll be two stripes essentially connect with, uh, with hash marks. So you've got um, maybe a couple feet of buffer rather than just a four-inch solid white line. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll move on to Coralville's 5th Street Reconstruction Project. Uh, this is just uh, west of 12th Avenue to 20th Street. It received 40 points in our scoring. The project includes a 29-foot wide street, 8-foot eight, wide sidewalk along the north side and a 6-foot wide sidewalk along the south side, and streetscaping. The total project cost is $2,856,600. Coralville is requesting $2,285,280 in STBG funding. Anything else from Coralville or about that project? 
Any questions? Okay. Move on to uh, the third project. It's North Liberty's Highway 965 reconstruction project. This is uh, Ranshaw Way to Forever Green Road. Uh, and it received 34 points in the scoring. This project is the final phase for the Highway 965 reconstruction through North Liberty and will include trails, curbs, and stormwater management. The total project cost is $9,595,000, and North Liberty is requesting $7,196,250 in STBG funding. Any other comments on the North Liberty project? The only thing is, is that in order to prevent a war on funding, you know, <clears throat> we can accept the, the uh, decision to go ahead and defer to Tiffin's needs, and I will apply later on. So we'll move on to That's Tiffin's uh, North Park Road Improvement Project. It received 32 points in our scoring. Uh, this project will reconstruct the existing two-lane road to a four-lane urban cross-section and includes installation of storm sewers, 10-foot-wide sidewalks, at-grade and grade-separated pedestrian crossings at the new Clear Creek Amana Elementary Schools. Uh, the total project cost is $5,279,472, and Tiffin is requesting $2.5 million in STBG funding. I can explain just a little bit more, because most of you probably don't get out to Tiffin and see this as much as the other projects there. Uh, at Highway 6 at the south end, a roundabout is going in there, and that construction starts here in about a month. Uh, this will fill in from there to the north part where the developer has built uh, a four-lane boulevard from there north to Forever Green and then over to the interstate. So this will fill in that section which is actually currently part gravel and part pavement. <laughs> so uh, that's what this will do is uh, make this four-lane to match what is north of it with full urbanization gutters storm sewer and the big uh, 10 foot trail so that's what that does so cool. what is your grade separate crossing is like are you going over do you have the real estate to go over or uh there's one uh tunnel oh you're going under yeah there's one spot where i'll go under the developer is going under up north wow. and we have one where we'll, where we'll go under during this section in this section as well cool. okay uh, we'll move on to the last STBG project, and that's Coralville's First Avenue and Oakdale Boulevard Roundabout. Received 26 points. Uh, this project will convert uh, the existing four-leg intersection operating with temporary signals to a four-leg roundabout and includes an eight-foot-wide shared-use path on the west and north legs of the roundabout. The total project cost is $1,847,475, and Coralville is requesting $1,275,275 in STBG funding. Any comments on that project? Okay. We'll move on to our uh, Transportation Alternative Program funding. Uh, Iowa City and North Liberty each submitted one application, and Coralville submitted two applications for the TAP funding. Uh, the first one is, the Cor is Coralville's Iowa River, Iowa River Trail Replacement Project. 
and this is between Rocky Shore Drive and, and Clear Creek, um, and it received 54 points. Uh, this project will replace, will replace approximately a half mile of trail that was destroyed by flooding and includes a 10-foot wide concrete trail and a pre-engineered bridge spanning Clear Creek. The project received $462,717 in TAP funding in 2015 and is currently programmed in the, in the TIP for FY20. The total project cost is $889,970, and Corville is requesting an additional $151,363 in TAP funding. Any, any other comments on that? That's, that's, the original, <clears throat> that's the original connector between Iowa City and Corville for bicycles, and the abutments are already in, for, uh, in, in Clear Creek, so the bridge mm -hmm. is going to go across, so it's just another... It's another connector, but it, it used to be the only connector. Yeah. Okay, move on to Iowa City's Highway 6 Trail project. Uh, and this is between Fair Meadows Boulevard and Hines Road and received 43 points. Uh, this project is part of the Highway 6 Trail project and includes a 10-foot wide trail along the south side of Highway 6. The total project cost is $548,000, and Iowa City is requesting $438,000 in TAP funding. Any comments on Iowa City's project? Okay, move on to North Liberty's project. And that's the North Liberty Road Trail project, and it received 29 points. Uh, this project will install an eight-foot-wide multi-use trail on the south and west side of Penn Street and North Liberty Road. The total project cost is $1,107,000, and North Liberty is requesting $664,200 in TAP funding. This project uh, is one of those that is not currently in the MPO's long-range transportation plan. Anything else on that project? No. Okay. It's, it's also going to help the dog park there that's going to be right around that hook curve up there and help the accessibility for that that we're putting in. Okay. The other thing about that is that the school district has purchased land right in there for future um, buildings. Um, so some of that open space there has been purchased by the school district, just FYI. To the south of the, of the curve there? Or? South of the curve, yeah, kind of in the middle. I don't know exactly which parcel it is, but it's it's somewhere in that section there. Okay. Move on to the last TAP project, and that's the Clear Creek Trail connection in Corville. And that's between Highway 6 and the Tom Harkin Trailhead. Uh, that project received 27 points. Uh, this project would construct a 10-foot wide concrete trail along the east side of Camp Cardinal Road. It's approximately 0.35 miles. The total project cost is $482,195, and Coralville is requesting $332,715 in TAP funding. Uh, this is the second project that is not included in the current uh, long-range transportation plan. Any other comments on that? That, that was the original um, industrial area. We <clears throat> didn't have sidewalks in there, and since then the post offices that they swore they would never use it as a post office, they put it in there. 
And so it's, it's an access point. We basically, it's well used. It's just a trail now because it's a dirt, dirt path and it's, it's a safety factor. We have, to, we have to get that in there. And that also has implications as well for the school district as there's now in, in uh, the new boundaries that will take effect in the fall, there's kids that are going from the north side of um, the strip there to Borlaug, which is on the south side, and there's no way to walk through there safely. We've heard a lot of community feedback about this particular stretch for that reason. And as Tom said, it, people are walking there anyway. It is a bit of a safety hazard. The, the ground is actually worn down, like um, you can see where people are walking. So I, I, um, I think this is a really important, important project for a lot of reasons. I'm curious with the actual bike trail, a little bit off topic. <laughs> when is it actually going to be connected all the way to Tiffin? Do we do we know with that the the bike trail along there? I mean, you said the Tom Harkin Trailhead. Does anyone know that? I think the last piece is being done, okay. but with the 3880 interchange, it's going to be closed. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it will be open and shut, and open yeah, and shut, but mostly shut, I think. For a while, I love that trail. It's a beautiful trail. Just in time, it'll be great for Tiffin. Yeah, it'll be great for Tiffin too. Yep. I'm looking forward to it. Any other questions or comments on any of the proposed projects? Okay. Uh, in your packet, there is a summary table uh, that includes the technical advisory committee's funding recommendation for both STBG and TAP, and you'll also notice with the TAP applications that are regional trails and bicycling committee have re had reviewed those applications as well and that the TTAC uh, agreed with um, the RTBC recommendation. Um, the recommendation on, we'll start with TAP, uh, is to fully fund uh, Coralville's Iowa River Trail proposal, Iowa City's Highway 6 Trail and North Liberty's uh, North Liberty Road Trail, and then re the remainder of the funding would go towards Coralville's Clear Creek Trail connection. Um, the STBG funding recommendation from the TAC uh, would give Iowa City their Dodge Street project $3,750,000. Uh, Coralville would, for their Fifth Street improvements, would receive $1,650,000 and Tiffin would receive 1.2 million for the North Park road improvements. Uh, the other two, the North Liberty project and Coralville's First Avenue and Oakdale Boulevard um, would receive no funding this round. Uh, that is the recommendation uh, from those groups. Uh, and of course staff is requesting approval of the funding. So moved. Second. Okay. Motion and a second. Any discussion? I'd, I'd mention just before we f finish up our discussion that they're all very good projects. Uh, we work pretty closely with everybody's engineers and we appreciate their help. Um, the Regional Trails and Bicycling Committee takes a hard look at at least the TAP projects before uh, those go to the Technical Advisory Committee. So it's a, it's a really nice process we go through. Uh, the last thing I would mention is that Currently, you're, you're allocating the funds internally as far as our MPO is concerned. 
after this, Brad will take these and actually put them into our transportation improvement program, which as I mentioned earlier uh, tonight, is our pro it's the, the, the hard programming document that we have to put together for the DOT. And you'll have a, that will go through a 30-day public uh, comment period, and then that's brought back to you um, for approval as well. So tonight we're allocating the funds sort of internally as a group, uh, but then you'll get a chance to actually program those funds uh, for the DOT at a later meeting. A series of steps. I want to get it in a minute uh, to thank North Liberty for bowing out because they scored just a little better than Tiffin, and we had discussions with them, and want to thank them for that. So, yes. Anything else? I'm not hearing anything. Okay. All those in favor, say aye. 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 Opposed, no. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We're on to 4D, which is an update on the Crandick Passenger Rail, Rails to Trail Studies. Yeah, as we uh, reported at the last couple meetings, I believe, the Phase 3 Passenger Rail Study is still on hold. Um, HDR Consulting, the Crandick Railroad, and the Iowa DOT are still trying to resolve some of the ridership model and methodology issues with the Federal Transit Administration in Kansas City. Um, it's it's been that way for a little while and I think it's the the methodology uh, will determine how much more work we have to do to get the ridership numbers that we requested and also what FTA would require in the future for any grant application so we're kind of stuck there until they can get this uh, issue resolved uh, we meant to have that project and the rails to trail study done at the same time so you could look at those uh, together. Um, unfortunately, the passenger rail study is unknown at this point when that's going to be done. Now the rails to trail study, which is a, a shorter part of the Crandic corridor, it's about a 6.1 mile uh, trail between um, Iowa City, downtown Iowa City and the Oakdale campus. Um, Iowa City, Corville, Johnson County and the University of Iowa participated in this study and each has received a copy of the study for their review. Um, the study focused on the railroad abandonment process, uh, characteristics of a rails-to-trails project, connectivity to existing trails, potential liability issues, and the cost estimates for rail removal and trail development. And really the bottom line was it was, it was a range of about 3.5 to 5.5 million dollars, and that depended on the trail surface itself, it, it, whether it be rock, uh, asphalt, or concrete. So that was the range, and it's roughly $574,000 to $900,000 a mile. So it, the information's there. Um, it, it did not include any purchase of property for uh, parking rides or trailheads or anything like that. So it's just kind of a bare estimate as to what it would take to remove the, the train tracks and put in a trail on that portion. So um, that's all I had there. Um, we hope to give you something on the phase three soon. I know uh, FTA is talking with DOT and um, HDR consultants. So, and I 
Yeah, this is one of those projects that unfortunately got caught up. Uh, FTA is claiming in the government shutdown. So they're still, uh, what they tell us is digging out of their, their hole, so to speak. Um, this is, uh, yeah, it is unfortunate these two didn't come out, but I, they're essentially separate projects, you know, should, should the area choose to move forward with either passenger rail or the trail. So it, I think it's, um, it, it's sort of neither here nor there, but it's available and we will be posting it on our website. It's rather long, but we'll be posting it on the MPO website and uh, you can all review it if you so choose. Kent, there are some dollar figures available. If it was, if we were able to do the rail service, we do have numbers in terms of how much that would cost, don't we? It's, it struck yeah, me as not an astronomical number. No, it's not. I think it was in the magnitude of uh, $30 million sort of on the cheap end. I think 30 to 40. Yeah, 30 to 40 on the cheaper end. Um, but that was full. upgrade the rail or what, what would that include? That would upgrade the rail, uh, buy the, the necessary train sets and equipment. Um, and some operating. It's really the it's really the ridership number that we were hoping to get a well that's the let me back up. A big part of the phase three study that we're waiting on is to get a better ridership number because that ridership number of course gives us um, revenue that might be generated. So the thirty to forty million is sort of dependent on what the third study comes up with. And presumably that would be necessary for any federal grants that we would apply. And if we didn't have federal grant money, there would not be as much of it. I mean, it strikes me that this is also a political football, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there are some people like rail, some don't. Sure. Yep. It seems a little bit, I'm not saying you did this, but in terms of the interagency discussion, mm -hmm. that it may be a little bit way of bureaucratically, you know, making this go off way into the future with, with no movement on this. Yeah. Um, Do you know yeah, anything I, about the nature of the conflict in terms of how the... Yeah. Conflict is. Yeah. So I, I think um, I understand what you're saying. It yeah. is political. But in this case, really, it's uh, the methodology by which they're going to use our MPO model. So our, our travel demand model that we use that the DOT approves. Yeah. Um, it's really the methodology by which HDR Consulting wanted to use our model to produce um, basically a new model to use. And that's what the funding was meant to do. What they did not do, um, unbeknownst to us, is ask the FTA in advance if that methodology would be acceptable for a future grant application. The FTA so far is saying basically they don't think it would be. They've asked some questions, but they basically said unless you can answer these questions um, in a satisfactory way, that would not be good enough. So the whole idea of the third study was to have it be the last study, and it was very clear that this group did not want to keep spending money on studies. Um, which is understandable. So the, the whole idea that now we might not be able to use that ridership figure that we would get for a future grant application to the FTA, which the application's free, uh, it does not sit well with us. So at this point, um, hopefully we'll be able to reconcile our differences between the FTA. If we can't, HDR essentially said it would double the contract cost, which I don't think is acceptable, and then we're going to have to get into backing out of the contract. That, that's the way I feel about it. But also keep in mind that the DOT and Crandic have also helped fund that study. We're in for a third uh, local governments, and it's a fairly small amount of money, um, $30,000, give or take, So for our urban area. So it's really a fairly small study. However, if they can't fulfill the study, you know, the then, then we've got an issue. Yeah. How are the um, ridership numbers being determined? So that's the difference we're having with the FTA. But they actually build, a, using our information and our travel demand model, they actually build a new model. Um, it's called the STOPS model. And it's um, a model not dissimilar from our travel demand model, but for actual uh, passenger rail ridership, believe it or not. So it's a model that's used uh, in other places. 
but the data from our model that would be used, they're not so wild about. That's so that's that's where we're hung up. Kind of like um, extrapolated type. From, yeah. From what? Yeah, it's it's based on socioeconomic so, data. No, um, there's no piece of it then that incorporates actual um, feedback from potential people living along that. This. Area contract did not have a ridership survey in it, I don't believe, no. It's more or less figuring out who will ride and where they will come from. That's sort of the difference we're having with the FTA. And they probably think you're being overly optimistic in your projections. What concerns them, uh, that as well as the University of Iowa throws them sort of for a loop because there's not a ton of university campuses that have done this, okay. and it concerns them that as we all know, I mean, the university is a, a, it's a beast of its own and has such a, a huge population that they're concerned about either over-inflating numbers or just, you know, figuring out where these students are going to come from and where they're going to get off, where they're going to get on, that sort of thing. Yeah. But it's really, it, it, in a nutshell, it's a methodology issue between how that model is created and used, um, which HDR thought they would be able to do, and then it turns out maybe they won't. They used the same methodology, and it's not totally, uh, I don't want to place that squarely on HDR. They used the same methodology, I think, in somewhere in Texas, or no, somewhere in the Southwest, they used the same methodology and it had success. Um, not sure what's changed. Yeah. So if we have to back out of the contract, then we'll have some decisions to make on if we want to try and hire someone else or exactly what to do. But again, uh, Cranick Rero and the DOT are both involved as well, so we'll get that all sorted out. If we backed out and went with someone else, it would seem like we would need to um, address that yeah. up front. Yeah, <laughs> there's a doing it and then being told it's not going to be accepted. Right. There's another, um, what I see as a potential chance to use the city of Iowa City's future um, transit study that they're embarking on. So Iowa City will have, well, is essentially working on a transit study right now or, or getting someone on contract. Part of what HDR said was would, we would double what would double the contract amount, basically from 100,000 to 200,000. So that's the that's the DOT and Crandix's uh, involvement as well. They would do a ridership survey on all the CAM bus, University, and Coralville's buses. That ridership survey is labor intensive, and they said it costs about $100,000. What I don't know is if Iowa City will be doing that as part of their transit study. If they do there's a chance we might be able to piggyback and actually use that data for this. And I think that might resolve the issue, um, but I think that will be a while for Iowa City. I mean, I'm guessing that'll be a year maybe before that's completed. Mm -hmm. So it could just be a timing thing. We'll, we'll see. Let's see. We will see. Enough on passenger rail. <laughs> Anything else on that? Okay. Nothing? Yeah. Thanks, Brad. Uh, any other business? I don't think so. From anybody? If not, I guess a motion to adjourn in a second and we'll be out of here. So moved. moved. All right. I guess. All those in favor say aye. 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 <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.